Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning I'll be doing a reading from Luke 15, 1 to 7. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it back on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours to, together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thank you, Callum. Just got on the first slide for me, Jack. Uh, Horst Schultz uh, is the founder and operator of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. I don't know if you've ever stayed at Ritz-Carlton. Uh, it's called Ritz-Carlton for lots of different reasons, but it certainly they do tend to be a little bit ritzy. They're a little bit more up-class. Uh, they certainly care about how they operate as a hotel chain. Now, Horst Schultz was telling a story. He was invited to a conference, and he tends to be invited around to lots of different conferences because one thing the Ritz-Carlton is known for is their culture, that the culture within their hotel chain is actually quite significantly different to the culture in some of the other hotel chains that might operate. And so he was at this, he was at this event, and he was asked to share a story that encapsulated a little bit of their culture and a little bit of why they were known to be the way that they were. What was it about them that was different? So he chose to tell the story of a lost wedding ring. So as the story goes, uh, he, and this wasn't actually him, this was at one of their beach resorts. So a beach resort, a family was there celebrating their uh, wedding and they'd been got married and they'd moved to this beach resort and they'd been playing some volleyball or playing something at the beach or doing something at the beach, and they'd lost the groom's wedding ring. So a few days into marriage, and they've already gone and lost the wedding ring. Uh, now, it, it, that would probably wouldn't be too good. It wouldn't have been enjoyed by the family. It's a bit like, you know, I've only just got this thing and I've already lost it. What am I going to do about this? And so the story that Horshut's told was that the attendants there at the actual resort, when they heard that this ring had been lost, went out and bought not one, not two, not three, but four metal detectors without permission on hotel money and went down to the beach and got four people to come with those metal detectors and keep searching for this ring until they found it. And Horst Schultz, as the owner of the business, was sharing this story to say how terrible those people were. How dare they go and spend... No, that's not why he was sharing it. He was sharing this to say a demonstration of what matters to them in their business. 
that they recognize that if a lost wedding ring matters to the guest, then a lost wedding ring matters to them. Because when you lose something, you can't help but think about that thing that was lost. I don't know about you, but I know when I lose something, uh, as long as I'm trying to do something else, that thing is there in the back of my mind. And maybe you've had that experience too, that, that maybe you've, you've lost where you put your keys. And it doesn't matter what else you need to be doing until you find those keys. Well, first, you're not driving anywhere, but you're also not going to think about other things. Or, or you've put your phone down somewhere, or, or you've put something of more significance than that down, and you just can't find where it is. Maybe it's a cable that you put in storage to use later on or, or something you put away for a rainy day and it's now a rainy day and it's nowhere to be found. Lost things matter. Lost things are significant and important. Uh, we're continuing along in a series here at Austin Cove at the moment called The Parables of Jesus. So our mission as a church is to journey with people towards Jesus. And the way that we're exploring it at the moment is to look at some of the parables that Jesus taught that are documented through the book of Luke. Uh, many, if not most of these stories, have been well-versed in church. And if you've been around a church for more than sort of five minutes, you will have heard many, if not most, of these parables. But one of the things that happens is when we hear stories again and again and again, is that sometimes we can actually miss what they're saying because we just get so used to hearing them. And so today we're going to be looking at three different parables. Now, there are many times when Jesus shares parables, but there's very few times where he shares three parables at the same time saying the same thing. It's almost like Jesus, as he was sharing these stories, was going, I want you to catch this. Like, this is really important and I want you to know what these parables are saying. I'm not just going to tell you once. I'm not just going to tell you twice. I'm going to tell you something three different ways. And so the first one that we had read to us, uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 15. And so a bit of the context that sort of sets where we're going. In Luke 15 verse 1 to 2, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So a little bit of context that we need to have an awareness of there is that tax collectors and sinners were people that good Jewish, uh, good Jewish people just would not be around. Good Jews would not be seen with tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors and sinners in this context were also Jewish people. They, were, they would have been Jewish. Uh, tax collectors were employed by Rome to take money from the Jewish people and give it to Rome. And their wage was effectively whatever extra they could get on top. And so they were seen as being absolutely awful. You just, you just did not associate with a tax collector. Uh, sinners, in this context, were Jewish people that didn't follow the law. They were Jewish people that knew better, that they knew what the law was actually requiring of them. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking at Jesus and going, how dare he spend time with those people? Who are those people? I wonder, in, in our culture today, who are those people that you just, you just shouldn't be around? You just shouldn't spend time with them. They're, they're too far gone. They're, they're just not someone that you should actually give the time of day to. 
Who are those that the religious people today look at and go, yeah, don't worry about them. Push them to the side. How, how could someone of God actually want to spend time in that context? So then we get this. Jesus moves on and he says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So before we move on to the, the next parables of what Jesus says, just a few things to make sure that we note uh, out of this passage. Uh, firstly, if you go back to those days, uh, farmers didn't, farms didn't have fences. It's not like today where every farm, or generally speaking, when you get into the wild country, there might be some farms that don't need it. But in you know, general, in the backyard sort of places, uh, most farms have built fences partly for this purpose, to make sure that you actually keep your animals there. So back in Jesus' day, the way that animals were kept together was you had a shepherd, and the shepherd kind of journeyed with them and, and made sure the sheep didn't go too far astray and sort of kept them in. But then it was their job, if a, if a sheep strayed, it was their job to go and get that sheep. And so when Jesus shares this story, he shares it as something that's obvious. It's like if a sheep goes astray, surely... Surely the shepherd is going to go after that lost sheep. Now, another reason for that is that if a shepherd lost a sheep, they actually had to pay for that unless they could prove that it was killed by a predator. So there was definitely some incentive for the shepherd to go out and find this sheep to bring it back into the fold because while it wasn't there, it was not going to reflect well on the shepherd. And then finally, another thing which is, again, kind of obvious, but it needs to be shared, is that 99 sheep left together were more likely to be safe than one by itself. doesn't mean they're completely safe. doesn't mean that nothing can happen. But the 99 sheep that could be left alone, they're more likely to be safe. The sheep that needs the shepherd's attention is the one that has gone astray. So Jesus shares this parable and one of the main things about his parables is oftentimes they were really obvious except when they weren't and that left you really thinking about it for some time. But Jesus goes on to say this. Or suppose... Can you help me out, Jack? It's not working again this week. It's been good for weeks now and all of a sudden this week it decides not to be. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, a couple of things that are going on in this context. So Jesus is, again, sharing a story which to the audience he was sharing had some very obvious aspects. 
10 silver coins is one of two things most likely. So there's 10 drachmas, that's what it would be. A silver coin was a drachma. And each of those silver coins is worth about a day's wages. So we're talking about 10 days wages, which, okay, today we get paid sort of two weeks at a time or a week at a time. That may not seem like much, but back in Jesus' time, 10 days of wages was a significant amount of money. And so it either... It was either the family savings or it was the dowry headband, uh, like our modern-day wedding ring. You're going to have to, yeah, there we go. Uh, it was a modern-day wedding ring. So it was either the family savings or probably more likely, given the significance of the number 10, this was her dowry. This was to be used when she got married as a, as a symbol that she was actually a good person to be married to. And so to lose one of those coins was significant because it's not a dowry if it's not 10 coins. And so just like we sort of said before, that if when you lose something, aren't you going to look for it until you find it? And when you find it, I want you to actually imagine with me for a moment, the last thing you lost. So try and think back. What was the last thing that you misplaced? The last thing you didn't have. Remember, and, uh, and it needs to be something that you've since found, otherwise you won't have had this experience. So something you lost that you've since found. Remember that moment when you found that thing. That moment when you were maybe sweeping up or maybe looking in the cupboards or and it's like, hallelujah, I found it. Finally, I can get on with my life. Because everything gets put to the side while that lost thing is lost. That's what's going on here. Does she not look over the house? Does she not turn it upside down? Does she not sweep it until she finds that coin? Because that lost thing is important. But in many ways, Jesus is actually building up through these stories. He's actually sharing them at various levels of significance. And so he moves on here. And he moves on to this story that really outlines what he's wanting to say. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I love how Luke just sort of says this matter-of-factly. It's just like, the kid asks for his inheritance and he just gives it to him and he just kind of moves on in the story, you know, as Jesus sort of does it here. But I want you to think for a moment about what's actually being asked of here. While the father is alive, the son is asking for his inheritance. Uh, if you've got kids, if you've got kids, I want you to imagine that your child come up to you today and said, hey, can, can you sell half your house so I can have the inheritance now and, and go off? Okay, I know I'm meant to wait for you to die, but I can't wait for that. So give me the inheritance now. It, well, okay, firstly, it's not, firstly, not going to happen. But this is incredibly insulting. This is incredibly insulting. For you to ask your parents for your inheritance while they're alive. It's one thing for parents to maybe start to give the inheritance away. Some parents choose to do that. They choose to not wait until that and they'll slowly start to siphon some things along to their kids. But for you to come to your parent, you're effectively saying to your parent, you're dead to me. I actually would value your stuff more than you. 
And so right now, you can imagine that the people that Jesus is telling this story to, that it's almost like they're going to have to pick their, their, their mouth off the ground. They'd be like, this is, how can you do that? He's going to like throw this kid out on, on their you know, backside. This is, how could this happen? And the scandal of the story is why it's so important to, you know, even just to pause here because it just goes on like this is nothing. The scandal of this story, I actually think some of those listening to the story may not have even heard the rest of this story. They would get stuck at this point because the scandal of the story is that the, the, the father goes, okay. And he gives that son their inheritance. I want you to imagine the pain that father would have felt. To to give the inheritance away is to effectively recognize that your child is saying, you're dead to me. They would have known that meant this kid was going to go off. They would have known that meant this kid was going to take the money and run. And yet they've chosen to do it. But Jesus isn't finished, so he continues on. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Who saw that coming? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, one of the interesting things about this is, that, again, at this point, the Jewish listeners to this story would have gone, Sirs, you're right. Like, they would have almost been celebrated, like, and that's what happens. This is Jesus' story today. Kids, don't take your parents' inheritance because this is what's going to happen to you. That they would be kind of like, yes, that's what should happen. They would be great. They would be very excited to hear that this kid ended up actually going bad. But it's not where Jesus is going to take the story. But one thing to note about this is this is not like an overnight thing. At first he says that he takes his stuff and he goes off to a distant land. So it would have taken him some time to get there. Then he, he spends all his money. Well, who knows how long that took. That may not have taken long at all. But then there's a famine that comes along. Now, it actually takes a while for a famine to be called. It's not like the first day you haven't got food. A famine is something that's a significant amount of time. He then goes and works for a period of time and he's feeding pigs and we're not told how long it is. But what we can definitely tell from the story that Jesus is inferring here, this kid has gone and he's gone for a long time. And that's significant for where the story goes next. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Uh, the story kind of paints the picture of a father that was looking for, longing for, dreaming of this day. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. I could almost imagine that the father, as he's doing his rounds and as he's going about his work every day, every now and then he would just glance out at the horizon, longing for, hoping for, dreaming of the day that his son might return. And he had no way of knowing that this would actually happen. He actually had no control whatsoever over whether or not this hope would be recognised. And yet... He still lived in hope. So the son comes, and before he can even get the words out of his mouth, I can imagine the son was probably practicing their speech all the way to their dad's house. Like, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What's going to happen? What if he says no? What am I going to do then? And yet before he even gets to do that, his father is running to him and throwing his arms around him, dreaming of this day. His father went out to him. He went out to him and pleaded with him. So meanwhile, the old oh, sorry, I skipped down. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And because he has him back, safe and sound, the older brother became angry and refused to go out or go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Now, I think you can imagine actually sitting in the shoes of this brother. Like, to some degree, what this brother is actually experiencing, what this brother is feeling, it is partly to be expected. I know that I don't have any siblings, so I don't really know what the full brother sister thing is like. But if you do, I think you could probably imagine if one of your siblings went off and squandered half of the wealth of your parents and then came home, you probably wouldn't want them to get celebrated straight away. It makes sense as a sibling to experience this. But Jesus is wanting to express the father's heart. Jesus is wanting to express what it means to be the one who has lost their child in this way. 
So he, the father went out. This is what parents do. As their children go in different directions, and some of you here today, you'll have adult children. You'll have children that have gone their own way. And you know that you will go to them whenever you can. So the father's response is this. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. And this is true because he's already given the inherit, half the inheritance away. Everything else that is left belongs to this son. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Everything I have is yours. You, in essence, in many ways, he's saying to him, actually, you can choose to take a goat and celebrate with your friends because all of my animals are your animals. All of what the property I have left is going to be your property. Everything I have is yours. But this son was lost to me. And today, today he's come back. And I have to celebrate this. Now, remember the context of this. Remember why Jesus shared this story. It goes right back to the very start. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And in this parable, the son that is lost are those tax collectors and sinners. Jesus recognizes that the tax collectors and sinners, yes, they actually have gone the wrong way. Yes, what they're doing is actually not what is best for them. But I have to be with them. Because the lost matter to God. He's telling the Pharisees and, the, and, the, and the, the teachers of the law, everything I have is yours. You are the chosen people. You are the people of Israel. You're the brother who has the inheritance. But the lost matter to God. Who matters to you? Who, who are the people that are lost in your sphere of influence? If you're here today and you've decided to follow Jesus, who are those in your orbit, in your family, in your friendship circles? Who are those that you've got a connection with, with that you know don't know Jesus? Those people matter to God. And part of our role as followers of Jesus, for those that, have, that are here today and that's what you've decided, if you've said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. We always need to be reminded of this parable because the, the, the father's heart and the character of the father in this story is what we are meant to have as followers of Jesus. The, the, the character that is expressed by the father as Jesus taught us how to live for him, said, go and do likewise, be like me, do the things that I do. And so we should be the ones that are looking out over the horizon, hoping for, longing for, praying for the day 
when those children come home. Praying and longing and seeking and looking for those opportunities and, and making sure that we're connecting with those who are far from God. Are we spending all our time with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or are we out there with the tax collectors and the sinners? Or whatever the equivalent to that is today. What does it mean to make sure as followers of Jesus we care about the lost? Maybe you're here today and you're actually seeking God. Now, maybe you've been a Christian or maybe you've never actually decided to follow Jesus. But for some reason, you're actually wanting to explore what it means to have a relationship with him. Well, actually, in many ways, the story of the prodigal son is actually a reference to everyone who would be seeking after God. See, what the story says to you is that you actually matter to God. You matter to him. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter what your past might be, no matter what situation has brought you to where you are today, you matter to God. And the other thing that this story shares, which I think is an important one for a lot of people that are exploring Christianity and exploring God, is somehow we often... As Christians, we do a bad job of making people who don't know God feel like he's angry at them. And so for a lot of people who are looking to explore Jesus, one of the first things they have to get over is this idea that they can't come to God because he's angry with them. And yet in the story of the prodigal son, as the son's coming and he's, he's got all those stories about, and the father actually has some right to be angry with him. The offense that son gave to after their inheritance, before their father had died, that's a hugely offensive act. And yet the father's response is a response of love. And anyone, here who don't, anyone who's here today who has kids, I'm sure you can think about what it would be to that father. It would take an awful lot for you not to run to your children if they came home to you if they'd been lost. And so that is how the Father feels about you. If you've been lost, maybe you've wandered away from faith. Maybe you've wandered away from what it means. Maybe you've never known Jesus and you're just exploring it for the first time, whatever that might be. God isn't angry with you. Maybe you're angry with God or maybe there's other connections around that. That's just some different things around that. But know that you matter to God and know that God isn't angry at you. So here at Austin Cove, our job is partnering with God to bring the lost home. This is why we exist. This is why, this is why we actually come along on any given day, any given Sunday. It's because the lost should matter to us. And we live in an area which is growing. We're in a place that doesn't exist on GPS, which is lots of fun for people to find. So it's actually, in, in many ways, it's going to require us to go to them because they ain't going to find us. At times that's been true, which is difficult. But part of our job is to partner with God to bring the lost home, to be in our community, to be where the people are. So our mission as a church is journeying with people towards Jesus. And it may not be an overnight journey. It may not be a quick one. It might take some time. It might take years 
But that has to be why we exist. And as long as we have a group of people who are passionate about this cause, we will exist as a church. As long as we have people who are bought into this idea, because that is the mission that God has called his church to be about. So for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus and are with us here today, and maybe you're visiting because you're here for the dedication and you have a different church you call home, that's fantastic. Who are you intentionally journeying with? Who are the people? And again, it may not be a quick one. This might be a years-long journey. But who are those people? Because the lost matter to God. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the celebration of family. We thank you that we've been able to dedicate these children and these families to you. We also thank you for the story and the parables that you shared about what it means to care about what things that are lost. And then ultimately, Lord, the story of the lost son. Building us as a church a passion for the lost. That that would be at the front of our minds. That that would be at the heart of everything we do. A desire to see those who are far from you start their journey towards you. We thank you in Jesus' name.